0: For his relentless backing, a vast against the former team that just went packing. While they're slacking, another host are lacking. He tells it like it is an issue that nobody's tackling. While he's racking, the ones who keep on grappling, the listeners some followers who get it keep on stacking. Great friend, and the type to set a trend. President of are haters with the men, there's no pretend. Seventeen years, he along with Pierce, entertaining Southern Cali back by popular demand. Intense For the listeners to resonate to the hottest topics of the day check the resume While some local leaders seem to lack the unity My man uses is voice to do what's best for the community westwood one catch him on the sidelines reporting live what we later see in highlights no holds barred just like on this timeline sun filter podcast no need to follow guidelines meet any criteria dropping bombs like syria touching down all around connected like expedia coming to your speakers live from the city yo bestie welcome to the scott kaplan media hey great friends what's going on this week
1: i am really pumped to bring this episode Of The Scott Kaplan solo podcast to you and I'm gonna really try and get right to it so here goes I feel so fortunate that this particular week is the week that I have Bob Babbitt now Bob Babbitt for those of you who don't know him I know him like to me He's a star in his industry. He has been the host of the Babbittville radio show, and prior to that, competitor radio hour. So Sunday nights on 1090, and previous to 1090, even the 690 days, Sunday nights, I always knew I could listen to endurance sports. Now, for a lot of people, that's not really... In their wheelhouse, their football, baseball, basketball kinds of people. I always found these endurance sports stories to be really humanly interesting. And Bob always brought out the best stories. Well, then I knew Bob from the Challenge Athletes Foundation. He was one of the founders. And I've been around Bob for so long that I just sort of have this thing that everybody knows Bob Babbitt. Because in his world of Ironman triathlon and endurance sports, he is a Hall of Famer. And you're going to hear why. But here's the beauty of today's podcast. I've known Bob for all these years. I feel like I know Bob Abbott well. We've spent thousands of miles, literally, on bicycles together. And we've been in you know exotic places on, on cycling-type trips together. And I feel like I know Bob Abbott. But here's what I didn't know going into this podcast. I didn't know a lot about Bob's business life. And here's what is really interesting, and I think you're going to find it fascinating coming up. You know, Bob Babbitt was an elementary school PE teacher who found the Ironman in the late 70s when it was just starting, competed in in the Ironman in race number three um, in 1980, and then didn't want to be a a gym teacher anymore. He wanted to follow his passion and work around this endurance sports industry that he thought was blowing up. And he talks a lot about why it was blowing up at the time and took a massive risk in his life. And started this cute little magazine that he was giving away for free. But, man, he talks about why he was giving it away for free. And this is going to all be really interesting for those of you who are, you know, like me, aspiring entrepreneurs is what I'm going to call it. And it was really interesting to listen to how little competitor magazine being given away for free at Jamba Juice turned into getting bought by big company where Bob goes to work for big company. And then magazine and media company gets bought yet again. So he hits like two home runs back to back. And this is stuff me and him have never talked about before in all those miles of riding. So here comes Bob Babbitt, to me, a legend in the endurance sports and in the endurance sports media broadcasting world. I mean, he is a legend at his game. So here comes Bob Babbitt. First, of course, I, I got to just say thank you, because what's happening with podcasting is really interesting. Um... And I, when I say that is I'm learning a lot about how to attempt to monetize. People ask me, well, do you make any money with podcasting? And I say, not really. But I do have some sponsors that that help along the way. People like the Brigantine family of restaurants. I talk about them every week. Best fish taco on the planet in the place I hang out at in Del Mar. I talk about Gorilla Movers, GorillaMovers.com, whether you're moving in or out of town, office or home. These are the guys who make things easy. And I always talk about my friends at Callaway Golf, callawaygolf.com, not just for golf equipment, but also their entire media library. So I, I talk about these wonderful sponsors. I'm just learning now that there's a whole national game out there. You guys may know this, who take in a lot of podcasts, mid-roll commercials in the middle of, of a podcast. I've never done that. I didn't know about it. I'm just learning about it. I still don't have it. Um, but it's interesting So I I want to thank the sponsors because it's sponsors like these that can bring us content like this. My visit with Bob Babbitt, and the timing could not have been better because this past weekend when when we chatted, Bob was coming off the Challenge Athletes Foundation Triathlon, the Million Dollar Challenge, which raises millions literally of dollars as riders ride their bikes from San Francisco to San Diego. And... Bob, was he being honored by the Challenge Athletes Foundation with their highest award, the Jim McLaren Award? You'll hear all about this, but how did he build this business? How did he become so hyper-successful? How's a gym teacher go to publishing magnet and a guy who really decided this is what I want my life to be about and this is how I'm going to do it? So here is my friend and we spend time in my home. By the way, I do get distracted right in the middle of this. I have to admit it. I totally get distracted. The TV's on. The kids are there. Stuff's going on in the kitchen. Kids are walking in and out. Bob's rambling. I mean, there's a point here where you're going to find that you go, dude, what are you talking about? Because I know I definitely got a little bit distracted. Here's my man, Bob Babbitt, on the Scott Kaplan Solo Podcast. Okay, don't mind what's going on in this house here tonight.
2: Not a problem, man. I'm always excited. I grew up in sort of the Ozzy and Harriet home where there was... You know, just my, everything was very quiet. Everything was very quiet all the time, and I loved going to my neighbor's house where there was chaos. It was like three kids and people were swearing at each other, and I was like, "This is the coolest thing ever." I had no idea people actually did that, so it was that was uh, it was a little bit of a mystery to me, and I, I loved it.
1: Yeah, this is um, you've come to chaos tonight. This is Monday night in my house. Usually, we always try and get together and have sushi, right? Which it's me and my four kids. And um, tonight, I wanted to get you and I together. And the timing of tonight is perfect for you and me. Well, actually, more for me than for you. Yeah. <laughs> because I know you're coming off of a crazy weekend. It's been nuts. Yeah, but awesome. Yeah. It's a great weekend. So I have a lot of things I want to talk to you about. Sure. So let me just jump right in. Okay. First of all, um, again, I'm catching you at such the right time. I was trying to get a hold of you before you went to Iron Man. Right. And this was a really big year for Ironman, right? 40th
2: anniversary. Yeah, Yeah, it was was a huge year for Ironman. 40th anniversary. You had the defending champion Patrick Lange coming back, and Jan Frodeno was the guy who had won the two years before that, and he was going to be redemption, and Daniela Reif had won three years in a row and was going for four in a row. So it was set up to be real. And Javier Gomez, one of the most decorated triathletes of all time, was doing his first Ironman World Championship in Kona he had a lot of great storylines
1: how um how is it being around the Ironman crew now i'm just wondering i haven't been around the race since i did the race right and i want to talk about that in a second but um like i i will tell you it's such a weird thing the day of the iron man like I, it's on my radar i know when it's happening you know sure, i've, I've seen part of your life right i'm sitting in the gym in Solana Beach, watching on my phone.
2: The live coverage.
1: Yes, yeah. the live feed, I think off of Facebook. Sure. And I was so blown away. You know, I always think of the Ironman and I think of Timex as being like a major sponsor back in the day. Right. But the sponsorship on the Ironman, just watching on a live stream was so brilliant. The yeah. Amazon sponsorship or whatever the name of the, the course was. I mean, they kept saying it over and over again. It looked so, what... It,
2: yes. It took it took it to another level. You had Amazon involved, uh, which was great. That was a great addition. It's it doesn't just lift up the Ironman; it lifts up the entire sport. Anytime you get a, a brand like Amazon in, you know, so look at their two two new initiatives. You have Amazon and Facebook. So this was the Facebook was actually a partner in all in the initiative to get get out live. You know, back in the day. Uh, live stream the first year i hosted the live stream we were sitting in the king cam hotel paul huddle and i looking at the at the park at the parking lot and then looking at the tennis courts and the live feed from the course kept coming in and out we got very little coverage now you had from before the race uh, throughout the race there was really no break in the coverage it, it's 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 live television for eight hours for the men and nine
1: hours for the women it really is remarkable that, that Iron Man, um, rightly so, of course, understanding the changing times of how yes. people digest content, right? to have the Iron Man, the full Iron Man being televised with aerial shots yep. and and motorcycle shots. It, it's like watching the Tour de France yes. on NBC Sports, uh-huh. but you're doing it on a live stream. So I'm sitting on a stationary bike thinking about I'm fat, I'm not I'm not in <laughs> Iron Man shape. I
2: used to do this. Right. I,
1: I don't even know how I ever did this. When people say to me, How'd you ever do that? I think, because I'm a bad motherfucker. Exactly. But then I realized, how the hell did I ever do that? Exactly. So, it, so it's crazy yeah. the way Ironman Man has has not only added all these major brands. Right. Because everybody knows that to do that sport, you gotta be you gotta have some coin. I mean, you gotta right. to make you gotta make money to be in that sport. Yep. And and so I mean, it just it, it blew my mind how NASCAR it had become.
2: What's great about it is back in the day, it was really the NBC show, right? That comes on about a month after the race. That was really the PR wing for the sport of triathlon, because people don't see triathlon on television except for the Iron Man show. And the Iron Man show was a compilation. It was, it was telling the backstories on the, the cancer survivor, the person who's missing a leg like a Sarah Reinertson. And I think for a long time, Iron Man thought, gosh, if we do live, is that going to take away from the NBC show? And the reality is it's two different audiences. If you're watching it live, you're a guy who's done the event. You're a guy who cares about endurance sports. The show that airs on NBC is really for the mainstream audience to show them the sport of triathlon, which they couldn't even spell the word triathlon. Now they're watching this thing and going, I might want to do that someday. And I think they complement each other really, really well
1: the NBC show that you're talking about yes. um the show that that gets packaged from the race and they turn it into a 1 hour right. s- sunday afternoon or saturday afternoon and i i you know i love the voice of al troutwig oh. who i thought was such an amazing broadcaster and um you know i grew up kind of watching new york rangers hockey and i could hear al troutwig's voice but somehow he got associated with iron man and his voice was always so you know perfect it was perfect for the voiceover, like John Facenda from NFL. Film. Absolutely. That was Al Trowick. And I don't remember why, but for some reason, when I was a kid, I, I saw Iron Man on TV, the Sunday show. Sure. And I don't know what it was inside of me, but for some reason, I thought I could do that because going long and slow seems more my speed than going short and fast right exactly
2: and and a lot of people feel that way a lot of people feel that they 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 watch it on television their first thought is this is crazy i can never do it and then it's like well wait a second look at that girls doesn't have a leg that guy's coming back from cancer if they can do it why can't i it's Mm -hmm. it's really the show nbc show sets it up for people to to change their life which is what happened back in 82 with Julie Moss when people were like, well, wait a second. If she can do it and she crawled across a line, I can do it too. And obviously there's something about the finish line that's so cathartic that someone will crawl to get there. So I want a little piece of that. I need something new in my life.
1: Let, let me, let's talk about the finish line, Bobby, because yes. I, I have no agenda for this conversation other than to just bullshit for a while. But I okay. have a couple of things I do want to get to specifically. Okay. And it's again, I mentioned it's perfect timing. You know, the the stories in the history of the Iron Man. I'm holding in my hands right now uh, your newest book about the 40th anniversary.
2: 40th anniversary book just
1: came out. Beautiful. I mean, absolutely beautiful book. And I can't wait to, to look through it. I also have, and I, I have taken these out of, of um, some boxes I had. You'll have to excuse me. I, I finally have bookshelves to put them in. This is the book that you had written. The 30th. The 30th anniversary.
2: That one sold out so fast that I think you can get it online for about $280. Wow. <laughs> you could sell yours. Really? Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, I may need to do that. Yeah. Uh, this is the 25th. What's this one worth? <laughs>
2: that, that one's not worth as much, <laughs> okay. but they're, that one actually is out of stock as well, though. Wow. But yeah, but the 30th sold out really quick.
1: So, so. These um, moments in Ironman history that you've documented, yeah, which you know is why you're a Hall of Famer in your industry. Um, the stories that the people who are listening to this podcast, sure, they're not into triathlon, although right. some maybe, some maybe, yeah. But you understand what I'm saying, absolutely. So when the names, the history, let, let's just talk a little bit about the history of what makes this race so special. Sure, beyond just the professional race. You mentioned Julie Moss. Right. Tell that story for people that don't know it. So
2: when you think about the most important moments in Ironman history, obviously the race started in 1978. John and Judy Collins decided uh, they they came up with a challenge. Uh, Really, after an article in Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated article came out 1977 saying that Eddie Merckx, the cyclist, five-time winner of the Tour de France, Mm -hmm. was the world's greatest endurance athlete. And so when... Uh, they were having this get-together if after a race on Oahu, after this perimeter relay race, there was a big discussion about, well, why is this guy the cyclist, the best endurance athlete. Why wouldn't it be the swimmer? Why wouldn't it be the runner? And so John gets up in front of the group and says, listen, we're going to find out once and for all who the world's greatest endurance athlete is. We'll take the Waikiki Rough Water Swim 2.4 miles uh, on the island of Oahu, the round of Wahoo bike ride 112 miles, and the Honolulu Marathon 26.2 miles, put them back to back to back, and we'll call the winner the Ironman. And then he immediately forgot about it. (laughs) And then somebody came up to him a few months later and was like, sir, when are we going to do this iron thing sir and he's like oh i better put it on so 15 starters in 1978 12 finishers again in 79 15 starters 12 finishers not like it was growing much the difference in 79 sports illustrated came sports illustrated article led to 108 of us in 1980 right Uh, i read about the event in sports illustrated yeah it's not like you can go online and go sign up for something so i had a track i tracked down tom warren who'd won that year and said, so, you know, Tommy, you know, and my roommate Ned Overend, who went on to become world mountain bike champion, but this was before mountain bikes had been invented. So <laughs> this, is, this is a long time ago. So Ned and I went over in 1980 when I finished the event, which I thought took two days. I thought you swam 2.4 miles, rode 56, camped out, and rode back into the marathon the next day. So I had panniers, sleeping bag, and tent on the bike got a root beer snow cone during a bike ride and my crew gave me a big mac fries and a coke about 25 miles on the bike it was we didn't know what we were doing we were sort of adventurers but that year 1980 abc wild Road sports covered it and that changed things but surprisingly they covered in 80 they covered in 81 the numbers were growing a little bit but not gigantic and if you think about it in 1980 dave scott won it the guy who somebody sitting in toledo ohio watching this on television can you relate to dave scott who is a you know water polo player a top swimmer he needed to cool down after doing a 140 mile race people couldn't relate 81 john (laughs) howard wins john howard's a three-time olympian uh pan-american games gold medalist you can't relate to him if you're a typical guy or gal living in the midwest underneath 30 30 foot of snow 82 here's julie moss leading the race she's 22 years old she's got freckles she's got a trucker hat on she's got a borrowed bra on she's leading the marathon and she could be your sister she could be your daughter she could be babysitting your kids she was just your average everyday woman out there doing this thing and while people are watching All of a sudden, you watched her come apart at the seams. She was the original reality television, right? This you were watching the worst moment of her life on national television. And next thing you know, she's crapping herself and she's staggering. And she's like Bambi and your people are sitting at home going stay like you're watching a fight. Stay down. Don't get up. Quit trying to run. And she collapses for the last time 20 feet from the finish line. And. She's laying there, can't get up. She gets passed by another 22-year-old, Kathleen McCartney. And next, the camera zooms back, and you see this woman on all fours crawling and then collapsing across the finish line with a smile on her face. And then you see her getting carried off on a stretcher. Now, Wildwood of Sports back then, they would have three segments, three 20-minute segments. So after that segment, people are watching all over the country. They're watching her uh, getting carried off on a stretcher. And they leave and go to ice dancing or cliff dive, mm-hmm. Where the hell they went to next? Mm-hmm. And people lit up the phone lines at ABC, going, "Think they thought she was dead? They thought this woman they this sport, was live. They th-
1: this was on live. It television? wasn't live. Okay,
2: but again, remember." Tape delay back then was still people didn't know what the event was. It wasn't like it was in the papers or anything, right? There was no car. This was it. It could have been live for all they knew. And Jim Lampley was doing the announcing mm-hmm. and he so, anyways, they had to fly, Kathleen and Julie, to New York the weekend after this show aired to go on with Jim McKay. To assure the American public that this sport <laughs> and this event does, doesn't kill people. That was our moment. Wow. That moment with Julie Moss changed everything. They started the United States Triathlon Series. In June of 82, they end up, now the event used to be in February. They moved, they did a second event in 82 in October because now people, if it's in October, people could train from all over the world. It was really more of a California event back then because if you're living in Europe, how do you train for something that's in February? You can't do it. So it changed everything for our sport. And also what it did was the light bulb went on for ABC. People care less, could care less about Dave Scott, Mark Allen. Those guys are great. But the real thing that resonates is stories people can relate to. Dick and Rick Hoyt, father and a son. What would a father do for his son to make his life whole? He, a son uh, with cerebral palsy and Dick would take Rick and pull him in a boat during the swim and have him on the handlebars during the bike ride. A 400 pound rig between him, his son and the bike. But it changed everything. Those were the stories that resonated for ABC and then for NBC.
1: So uh, the Hoyts. I mean, see, here's the thing. Um, I've gotten a lot of the things that you're talking about. I know these stories intimately. Right. You know, but people who don't know these stories, um, they find them fascinating. I know I do. Yes. You know, the Hoyts, for example, I'll never forget. um, I had seen through Challenge Athletes Foundation. I had seen the story of the Hoyts and I thought, oh, my God. God, this father, he's pulling this boat with right. his kid who's got cerebral palsy. And oh, my goodness, he's got him in the basket on the front of the bike. How does he do it? And then he runs and he, he's pushing the kid in a stroller. And the kid's like a half, you know, he's like a grown like, man. Yeah, he's a but, grown
2: man. Yeah, And, and he's run, He's going sub four hours for a marathon.
1: Unbelievable. And, and I'll never forget. I was, we were, you were there. Um, we were in the, at the Challenge Athletes Foundation Gala. Yes, in New York City. Yep. I don't remember exactly what year it was, and I get into the elevator at the Waldorf Astoria, and Mr. Hoyt, Rick or is it Dick? Dick, Dick 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 walks onto the elevator, and I'm I've got young kids at the time, but but everybody thankfully is pretty healthy, you know. Um, and and I say to him, I tell him I go, oh my God, Mr. Hoyt, oh my God, I'm just such a huge huge fan. I I just what what you've did and how you did it and 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 i just i can't admit you know i don't even know what i said and he looked at me and he said he said you do the same thing for your son yes you would and i didn't know that at the time bobby i didn't know that i would do that for my son because i didn't know iron man really right you know i was just kind of getting to endurance sports but man you see iron man for all these pros and all these guys you're talking about at the beginning here tonight, you know, the girl who won it three straight times and the, the guy who's wanted redemption, those pro guys, they're world-class, incredible athletes, right? All those stories that you talked about, that's the stuff that resonated with me that made me think I could actually do this. And by the way, by having done it, um, I used the experience of having done the Ironman, Mm hmm every single day
2: Uh, yeah and that's really when i finished it in 1980 i tell people i felt like i had this business card because i I changed my perceptions of me it told me i could do anything and that led to starting competitor magazine and and a lot of other things that i never would have done without have without finishing the iron man and stepping out of my comfort zone and realizing that there was a big world out there and if i can finish that thing i can do anything
1: This is what I want to talk about. I want to start off with Competitor Magazine because what's happened with my podcast, I I didn't know this when I started it. I've told this story before, so people who listen, um, they know the story. But I started this podcast because I thought that this year, 2018, I was going to be using this podcast to push a startup company that I was involved Mm. with. And um, what they had learned in an earlier iteration was that where they had picked up a lot of audience was through fantasy football podcasting. Right. And I thought, well, I don't have a podcast, and Dick Emberg does, and Dick's 80 something at the time and dick was a great friend of mine and inspiration to me and i was like well if dick has a freaking podcast i guess i better freaking get a podcast right exactly so so at the beginning i i thought i was going to use it to help push this company called cited and again people who are listening they know the story um but what happened was along the way this year i started to meet people and start to get their stories uh through this podcast and it turned into like this weird kind of business inspirational (laughs) sort of things and a lot of my friends who've been on it who have amazing stories that you would hear and you go, well, I know that guy. And geez, I didn't know that about him. So this kind of gets me to competitor magazine. When you finished the Ironman in 1980, you say you felt like I can do whatever I want.
2: Exactly. because I've already
1: done that. I pushed myself to the limit.
2: Yeah. And I was at time, I was a PE teacher at a little private school called Children's School in Sorrento Valley. And I came back from that race and there was a guy with a local magazine called Run. First, it was just called Running News. And I came back and I told Mike Plant, who was the, that was his magazine. I was like, Mike, uh, this sport of triathlon. Remember, triathlon had only been around for a few years at that point. This is really going to catch on. And so eventually he changed the name to Running in Triathlon News. And I, became, I left teaching and became the L.A. editor for Running and Triathlon News and just loved it. And actually the art teacher from the school I was at Lois Schwartz became our photographer and we drive up to LA every single weekend and cover these events. And that led in 87, the starting competitor magazine. And I didn't know that 95% of all magazines go out of business in the, in the first year, uh, but we just loved it. How'd you start it? So what happened was we were working for running a triathlon news and that then went, went out of business in April of 87. Uh, the guy who owned the magazine, um, He had just bought the magazine from our previous owner and he basically took all the dollars from the advertising that was owed and disappeared, closed the doors. And so Lois and I were out of a job and it was really my first experience with scam artists. And that was that was a horrific experience for us. But I went and met with a couple of different magazine publishers. One was California Bicyclist. Another one was uh, Southwest Cycling both of them free publications like like running triathlon news and i said you know if we did a magazine combining running triathlon and cycling i think it would be really pop uh, really popular and both of them said the same thing we'll never put a skinny runner in the cover of a magazine and triathlon's a fad it'll be gone in five years i was like what do i do now i came back and three friends came to lois and i and gave us a check for seventeen thousand dollars, and said go start your own magazine
1: three friends three
2: friends larry white being one of them La- larry I- white ron ron marola and joe ellis were okay. three friends okay, came okay, to j- us. just so
1: you know i've never heard this before i this is an amazing story to me this is exactly what i wanted to talk about so three friends say, go start this business. And at the time you're talking about 34, $50,000 and change. I, I can't do the math real quick, but 50 grand,
2: No, right? They gave him a 17,
1: 17 each, but no but... Total. Oh. 17
2: total 17, total $17, $17,000. You have $17,000 said, go start your own magazine. What do
1: You mean like you went to them and said, Hey, we're thinking about this. Or? No,
2: they knew that we were that Why we 17,000. That's what they had. They gave us 17,000 and Larry yeah. White. Larry White, Ron Marola, who was he worked with at the sports page, which was a running store, a running store in Pacific Beach, and Joe Ellis uh, had a uh, he had a, a um, podiatry business in San Diego. So you know we could give him ads in the magazine, right? Uh, so
1: I just need to interrupt and let people yeah. know that that the name Larry White, this is a very 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 close friend of mine. Yes, and when I say very very close, I mean we're not going to be hanging out tomorrow, but but Larry and I are really close because of CAF, through right. Challenge Athletes Foundation, through the Million Dollar Challenge Bike Ride. And he's just one of those guys that I became friends with for life. Yes. Through that experience and yep. through through you, essentially. I did not know that story. So, Larry... So, so those friends...
2: three gave us a check for $17,000. Okay. So, at that point, we had a uh, underneath 20,000 pounds of bike racks, a guy rented us 200 square feet for $200 a month. And then... We came out with the first edition of Competitor in June of 87. We had 17000 Our first print bill was 20000 So we were in the hole by 3000 with our first issue. I lived on friends' floors for about the first year and a half. Lois and I didn't pay ourselves for the first two years. And How old were you? Because uh, this is 87. So 90, you... that was 20 years ago, basically. 28, 97, 07. Oh, wait, it's 30 years ago. So I'm um, 67 now. So, you know, 57, 40, 37. So I'm, you know, a little old to be sleeping on friends' floors, but we believed in what we were doing. And so we grew it from one edition of Competitor here in San Diego, L.A., to 11 editions and half, half a million circulation. And we had magazines all over the country, Competitor Southeast and Competitor Texas. And then in 2008... And and a lot of people said, you guys, you're you're, you can't compete with national magazines. You're free. You're not national distribution and yours. But my philosophy was that. Why, why is, if somebody's going into Rubio's to pick up my magazine, why is that less valuable than if some Boy Scout selling you a subscription to a, a magazine that you don't really want and you toss it in the trash as soon as it gets there? So our philosophy was ABC, CBS, and NBC are free. You tune in and there's large numbers and they sell ads based upon the number of people. We were that model, their subscription model, ESPN, et cetera. But we were a free, uh, free publication model. And we were able to you know, build our circ to half a million circulation. And we, I used the magazine when I launched this, this event called the Muddy Buddy. Two people in a mountain bike take turns running and riding. I just did those in markets where I had competitor and we sold them all out. So I was able to use our event as a test event for to show other potential advertisers, look what we're doing. We're selling out every event and we're not doing anything different than what you could be doing with advertising. And also I always felt that ads for events were like a piece of editorial. So event ads were a third of the cost of a regular ad for a retailer or for manufacturer because people looked at the magazine to see where to race next. And our job as a magazine was to fill up the corrals. As soon as the race is this weekend, is over, they have nobody for next year. They got to get new people. My job was to fill up those corrals with new people by spreading the love of why running, triathlon, cycling, mountain biking, those are great ways to spend the weekend. That We're going to parties every weekend, and you need to bring your family and come get involved.
1: Wow. So so the magazine, Competitor Magazine, yeah. see, I used to love to walk into a Jamba Juice exactly. or Rubio's. You mentioned these places, and there were stacks of them for free, and I would read the, the articles, and I was always fascinated yeah. by the covers, and and, and so at what point do you go from, you've built this big magazine from $17,000 from a loan from friends. Yes. And being three grand in the hole with your first publication, you eventually wind up selling competitor magazine. Twice,
2: which is <laughs> so even better. Explain how that worked. So what happened is by the time uh, we, we, starting in the 2005, 2006, people started coming to us and asking about purchase. I didn't know anything about selling the magazine.
1: Are, are right? you making money at this point? Like, yes. Are you making good money? We're, we're living on money. your friend's floors.
2: No, no, we're not sleeping on our friend's floors. We're making good money. We're uh, myself, my partner, Lois, our other partner, John Smith. We we're making good dollars. Uh, we we're, you know, also... I was combining a lot of my love, uh, my love for Challenge Athletes Foundation. We showcase CAF athletes inside Competitor Magazine. Rudy was on the cover, probably the first amputee to be on a cover of a, a mainstream publication. And same with Wheelchair Athletes. So the magazine was allowing us to be passionate. Our offices were right here in Solana Beach on Cedros, and there it, it was nothing better in the world. So we're making dollars. And when people started calling about, hey, are uh, you have any interest in selling? Uh, I called a friend of mine named Greg Rourke, who had been a, um, who had taught economics at, uh, in, in New York, I think it was at Brown, anyways. So I, I called Greg and said, Greg, I don't know what to do. These people are gonna call me and I'm gonna give them too much information. So tell me what I should do. He says, why don't you send them to me? I'll make sure that they're real before I, we give them anything right so i people would come to me i'd send them to greg and greg would come back and his famous lines were big hat i mean they talked big no cattle All right? big hat no cattle that happened from 2006 2007 then a group called falcon approached and he goes big hat big cattle big herd so at that point we started listening and what they did was they bought competitor magazine and the competitor brand he really peter engelhardt who had been Um, who had been with Outdoor Life Network, he had gone to work for this Falcon Head and he really saw what was happening with Rock and Roll Marathon, with Competitor, with Triathlete Magazine. So he bought us, which was my magazine, my magazines, and Muddy Buddy series. We had, at that point, we had seven Muddy Buddies, and my radio, you know, Competitor Radio, and the Endurance Awards was all underneath that umbrella. At the same time, he bought Elite Racing, which owned seven rock and roll marathons and the Carlsbad 5,000. They bought Inside Communications, which owned Inside Triathlon Magazine and Velo News Magazine for cycling. Then they, they bought Triathlete Magazine. So they had these silos. The whole idea was, here's your media silo. Competitor Magazine, Triathlete Magazine, Women's Running Magazine, Velo News Magazine. Their event silo, seven rock and roll marathons, seven Muddy Buddies, a uh, tri-rock triathlon series, women's half marathon series. And then you had all the new media, right? Facebook, et cetera, all that type of stuff. So it went from my 23 employees and our little office in Solana Beach to uh, 50,000 square foot offices and 500 employees basically overnight. And we went from, uh, from seven rock and roll marathons in 2008 to 34, In 2012 from seven muddy buddies in 2008 to 18 in 2012 and then we sold again to another group a private equity firm called Calera from the Bay Area and they bought the entire competitor group uh, and you know their goal was to take it to another level unfortunately I, I think they bought at the top of the market the magazine business was starting to go south just like the the newspaper business and i don't think they really knew how to handle a sports enterprise like that and rock and roll so they ended up eventually i left after 2014 august 2014 it's gotten too big for me and i wanted to go back to my roots and so i've been i started you know basically radio show babbittville radio i'd been doing my shows from kona my breakfast with bob shows i took those to New York Tri, Boston Marathon, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, Bahrain, and obviously Kona. and then um, we then I you know was always working with CAF and actually took a real job with CAF just a year ago.
1: It's unbelievable how how you know you're talking about here I was a gym teacher. yep, same thing. you, you know you, you, you quit being a gym teacher to jo- to go work for this magazine right The magazine goes under. You guys get a small loan, you put together your own magazine, and before you know it, you've you've developed a nice following, 23 people, that's a serious business you're running. Yep. But it is still at that time grassroots and kind of small and fun. And then you get gobbled up. And you say sold twice, uh, or bought twice, rather. Um, so first you're, you're bought by the first group, but you Falcon go and, and you work with them.
2: Yep. Stayed on. And, and then, I, st- I stayed out with second group too.
1: So you got to, you got to score kind of twice. Is that a fair yeah. description? Yeah. Again, guy who started as a gym teacher who started this small publication uh-huh. hits a home run and another home run. And I don't know what the numbers are like, but I mean, I've had people sit here and tell me these stories about I'm crying, I'm dying, I'm going out of business, I'm going underwater. And five years later, a $350 million sale of a right. business. Yeah. I mean, Bob, I've never asked you this, but, but. Did you make some big money out of those deals? And I'm only asking it because yeah. it's such an inspiring thing to hear for people who are going, Jesus, this guy was a freaking school gym teacher and quit and gave and took a risk. And I mean, did you make some real money? We made some we
2: made some good dollars. Yeah. The companies were, were worth a lot. Uh, especially the the second sale, because you think about it, rock and roll at that point had uh, six hundred and fifty thousand participants and it changed the game because back in the day. When you're talking about the '80s and even uh, mid '80s, running was 80 marathons, especially 80 percent men, 20 percent women. Rock and roll, when it launched, and people forget when that launched in 1998, 1999, there hadn't been a new marathon besides Flying Pig Marathon in the U.S. for forever. You had all these one-offs: New York, Chicago, Boston. So now, all of a sudden, you've got this 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 rock and roll marathon and half marathon with charity component right the whole team and training aspect of it and women are training for this because of the charity aspect of it and all of a sudden it's 65 percent women a lot of the races are 70 percent women changed the whole face of running and brought in all new sponsors right because not people want to reach women and it changed the game entirely and that was really what led to both sales was you're reaching the demographic that buys stuff And so the expos, the expos, which used to be me and you going to an expo and how long we spend there, a minute, run in, get your bib, and get the hell out. Well, all of a sudden now there's makeovers going on, and there's shopping going on, and you're doing dealing with hundreds of thousand dollar, hundreds of thousands of dollars of rock and roll merchandise. And then the other aspect of it that people don't understand is every event that's here in Southern California is paying to get the roads and you know, to get uh, police and fire, but rock and roll and Iron Man are different because the cities are paying them to come. The city is paying the, the event to come because, think about this, if you're Las Vegas and the rock and roll Las Vegas has 44,000 people participating in that event, on a Sunday night, and there's a reason it moved to Sunday night rather than Sunday morning, adds another room night. So you got 44,000 people plus add family and all the rest of it. You're dealing with 150 to 160,000 room nights, right? If you got 44,000 people that are now gonna stay Sunday night, now you've just added, and then volunteers, everybody else, you've added 60,000 room nights. So these, these cities are all about heads and beds and what iron man on a lower level iron man goes to lake placid and every room is taken every and and they're not staying at the red roof inn they're staying at the four seasons they're staying at the nice places and they're buying meals so and it's not like the super bowl that comes every 20 years it's there every year so when you go to arizona in january and you go to rock and roll arizona uh the when they first announced that event the people in arizona were like this race director says he's going to bring 30,000 people here for a first time event it's never going to happen 37,000 came the first year 80 percent from outside their area so everybody's staying in hotels It, it became a and with cities having budget cuts cities need these events right so rock and roll did something nobody had ever done before it monetized running and got the cities to invest in events that they used to look at as a pain in the ass you're blocking off our streets and granny can't get to church what the heck are you doing we're making money we're, we're filling up our hotels we're taking care of the business in our in our region
1: it's it's amazing to listen to you talk we've never talked about this we've it's, never uh, talked about this and it's fun. fascinating to listen to because again i'm i'm a uh an aspiring entrepreneur myself mm-hmm. with my own startup company. And, right. And you know, you, you've got to believe in what you want to do and you've got to keep putting your, your foot in front of one foot in front of the other. It's so Iron Man, Right. I mean, every day, you know, all the things that you took from that race in 1980, when you said, I feel like I can do anything and you're, you know, living on couches and you quit your gym teacher job and, and you borrowed some money. And, and before you know it, not only did you get bought, but then you got bought again, so it was like bang, bang. I mean, what a success story for someone who, like you said, you were just doing what you loved. You were covering the sport that you loved. Well, and that's
2: what I've always told people. That you don't just get a job, get a passion. You have to follow your passion. If you, you want to get up every morning going, I can't wait to get to work. I mean, and the great part is at CAF, back to the competitor days, we got 23 staff. Our whole finance department came from competitor. There are folks that work for me at competitor group. It's... It's wonderful, you know, and being back with a small group where see, back in the day with competitor it was always how do we make the magazine better? How do we impact more lives? How do we change the perception that triathlon is too hard for people and get new people in? That was what we led with, not what what what's our what's what's our ROI? What's uh, what ads do we have? And we, of course, you're worried about your ads and the rest of it. But the most important thing was how do we make the product better? And when the towards my end of my tenure at competitor, that's not what it was about. It was more about how do we sell more ads? How do we get more sponsors? It was all about that. And My philosophy has always been if you follow your passion, dollars will come. But if you lead with dollars, I don't think you're successful. You know, you, you have to follow your passion. You have to believe in what you're doing and everybody at, at CAF it's how do we change more lives? How do we impact more people? And that's, well, well, that's th- what
1: it's about. This is why the timing of this is so good. So, so today we're recording on a Monday evening Yeah, and you can hear the noise in the background. Julia's in the kitchen doing whatever. It's all good. Jules. It's fine. There's a football game on television. <laughs> I haven't turned on the Laker game yet. So, um, What's so interesting about this timing is I was trying to get a hold of you before you went to Iron Man, right? And I was watching Iron Man, like I mentioned to you, and it brought back so many crazy memories for me, and um, and how I still use that even today. Even sure. I swear to God, even earlier today. Yep. Um, and so, listening to you talk about this this whole how you did this and and how. You know, you were part of something and how the business grew and how the sport exploded. I'm just I'm really fascinated by how that all happened.
2: Yeah, it's well, it it is pretty fascinating because you think about this little dinky sport of triathlon and look how I mean, Ironman sold for nine hundred million dollars. The Ironman, which had 15 people in 1978 and 79 sold with with now there's i think there's 42 or 43 full ironmans i think 115 to 120 ironman 70.3s i think they have 5 or 6 70.3s in china uh cuz their Wanda is the group out of china that bought them plus now they have the 30 i think there's 33 34 rock and rolls and then they bought the Shanghai Marathon they own Cape Epic mountain bike events i think their whole portfolio might be close to 300 events that and they, they bought my old company iron man bought competitor group and brought the rock and rolls all under the same umbrella so it's, it, it, uh, it's but really that's, cool
1: right it's it's incredible i mean it, how this little magazine yeah here in san diego started and is now owned by
2: yes the the event that i really worked really hard to promote because i felt from the, i mean if you look at the history of competitor magazine we we really because we are a free magazine and I loved Ironman. So we would do two issues a year, our pre-Ironman issue and our post-Ironman issue. And Gatorade became one of our first national advertisers. And their agency told them, why would you advertise in a free magazine that's based in Southern California? And they, Bill Schmidt, the president of Gatorade, said, because it's a core magazine for the sport. And that allowed us, you know, you always have to have an industry leader. Once we got Gatorade in, we'd had the running shoe guys because we were an endemic brand for them. But getting Gatorade and then getting champion nutrition and getting brands like that uh, and sparklets water and and, and brands out of sport to recognize us was huge. And if you think about it, running in the early days was all about Nike, Adidas. Those were the sponsors when running made it it is when John Hancock came on board. And when outside of sport guys came on board and looked at the demographics, looked at the, who are these people who are running? Oh, this guy's a bank president. This guy, they wanted to reach those folks and realized, why don't we go to where their passion is? We'll follow them and running. And people are, if you're supporting us, we're supporting you. And it became something that really worked well for outside of sports folks because they were like, look at, these people are passionate about their sport why shouldn't we be involved it's healthy and then the other aspect of it john hancock sponsoring boston sponsoring new york and then what happens their employees get involved Their employees start running their employee morale goes through the charts uh, off the charts it's it everybody wins that's what i love about that
1: i'm just i'm still blown away by because we've never talked about this stuff before and i did get a little lost before because i had noise in the background but i to to think that your little magazine is now owned by that giant company well they actually closed it down well this is the and this is where the story becomes even more bizarre Like, tell me You mentioned Ironman was bought for $900 million. And people hear that and they go, what the, what are you talking about? Because people who aren't into endurance sports, but who are listening now because they're like, wow, what an interesting business story. How could Ironman have been sold for that kind of money? And then what has happened subsequently with all of this consolidation of endurance events?
2: Well, what Ironman has done is they had an opportunity because when this group Calera had bought competitor group and the, they felt not long after they bought it that maybe they had overpaid. So what happens when a company like that overpays, because private equity buys to sell. It's a three-to-five-year plan, right? So if you buy something for 200000000 million, you're planning to sell it for $600, $800 million. Well, all of a sudden, they realized what they had was not worth 200 Maybe it was worth... 100. <laughs> so that changes everything. Then what happens is the company goes, well, we better start cutting back. We're going to cut this and cut that. And then you're cutting the quality of your events. And when you cut the quality of events, people see it and people feel it. And Then what happens? Your numbers drop. So that's what was going on. And Ironman got a steal when they got, uh, when they got the competitor group because they basically, uh, from what I heard, paid off the bank. The bank was the f- – they wanted their money back. Uh, Calera had basically given up on getting the return they were hoping for, and I think they sold it for all the rock and rolls. Everything for like a hundred million. After they had uh, Iron Man had been sold for nine hundred million, they got all the rock and roll assets and all the magazines for a hundred. And what they did, because Iron Man is not in the publishing business, they jettisoned the magazines to Felix McGowan, who used to own Velo News, and he ended up getting uh, Velo News women's running magazine and triathlete magazine and competitor and didn't really want competitor. So they kept competitor running. They call it competitorrunning.com but they, you know, my magazine um, you know, my brand was basically uh, was basically destroyed.
1: <laughs> you, mean like your, awesome. you mean
2: your radio? No, well the radio, when I launched when I left competitor, I kept doing my radio show. I just changed it to Babbittville, So that, that continues on. Uh, but the competitor magazine that was in rubio's and Jama juice and was really that that publication that you know was that uh it was the uh, entry mat right it was here's all the stuff that's out there here's the buffet of running triathlon cycling mountain bike that went away and you now that was it would have been harder for me but a number of years ago i while i was still a competitor while I was still at competitor don't mind
1: what's going on girls are walking in I like it yeah there's energy now now there's chaos
2: uh while I was at competitor they got to the point where they 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 felt there was more money in running right and so why are we covering triathlon and cycling and all that stuff so we're going to make competitor into a running magazine and I told them I'm like guys you know you're You're now, when you're competitor magazine and you're covering running, triathlon, cycling, mountain biking, you're sort of in a, you're outside magazine on a regional level, right? But when you now say we are a running magazine, now you're going head to head with Runner's World, which has been a running magazine for 50 years. And you've been a running magazine for an hour. Who's going to win that battle? Where I could compete with Runner's World as competitor, because I'm like, listen, Runner's World's great. It's a great publication. But you're going to get runners. If someone is subscribing to runner's world, they're already a runner. If someone's picking up a competitor, they don't know what the hell they are. <laughs> right? They don't know what they are. All they know is that, gosh, this, this thing is intriguing and maybe I'll do a 5K. I, my whole thing was originally all free publications were very endemic in their distribution. If you were a free publication and you were you know, running and cycling, you were in running stores. You were in bike shops, you know, sort of hidden in the back somewhere underneath some you know, goo display. And I negotiated deals to get into Jama Juice exclusively and to get into Rubio's exclusively with my buddy Ralph Rubio, who is amazing. Uh, California's Fittest Food, California's Fittest Magazine. And the whole purpose of that is I felt that the average person who's 20 pounds overweight isn't hiring a personal trainer, isn't hiring a nutritionist. They're going, you know what? Instead of going to McDonald's for lunch today, I'm going to go to Jama Juice and have a smoothie. Or I'm going to go to Rubio's and have a Health Max Burrito and then when they're there what do they see they see competitor they pick it up and they go i'm not really a competitor but what's a 5k oh i think i could walk a 5k once they're in once they put a number on we got them you know you know what that feeling is you come Mm -hmm. across that first finish line you want it forever so that became our our whole philosophy was new people into our sport our yeah that's what we wanted to do
1: dude i will tell you that um i remember and and then i want to Switch gears here because we've gone way deeper into the magazine world than I would have known. Um, but I, I can remember, speaking of finish lines, so in 2009, yep. you and I stood at the finish line. And I'll, the backstory is to make a long story short for everybody, is one of my best friends had retired as a young man and committed himself to doing Iron Man, which he had done when he was a much younger man. Right. So the finish line at Kona is a religious thing. And I didn't know this, of course. I'd seen the TV show, but I'd never been there. Yeah. So I went to help, you know, uh, valet, if you will. Sure.
2: he so, is domestique.
1: Correct. So I'll never forget the night of the race. Um, the end of the night, the uh, the last runner is coming in. Yep. And you're like, dude, watch this. Watch what's going on here. And you know what's happening. I don't. And I can hear the announcer, okay? And, and I can hear what's going on in there. And, they're, and they're, he's saying, he's saying, you know there's only one more guy and and he's he he's he, he may not make it you know we need your help right and everybody in the whole place and is going berserk 20,000 people there they're going crazy yeah and at midnight right. it's
2: not like this is 9:00 you got people staying up till forever
1: right and and the 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 pros who had already won are there they're showered they're clean they've got lays wrapped around their neck they're giving away lays to the people who are finishing and they are there as ambassadors to those that are fin- the story people, right? And Mike Riley, who's a San Diegan, who everybody in Iron Man knows is the, you know the voice of Iron Man, He's screaming, "He's coming! He's gonna! He's coming!" And and the the clock up at the top has kind of it's it's already done. It's over. Yeah. And as the last guy, he was a four hundred pound guy. He lost two hundred and fifty pounds on the Biggest Loser. He was a college yes. wrestler. And he's, yes. And they're bringing this. And Mike Riley goes, "You know whatever his name was." You did it. You know, you he
2: can't get, say he's right, an Ironman. Right.
1: And and the crowd is going crazy and the guy's crawling past the finish line and he never says you no, are an Iron Man. No,
2: because he didn't he didn't make it under the cutoff time. Right. It's it's one of the cruel realities of Iron Man. It, it, and that's what's great about it. Iron Man's an equal opportunity abuser. Doesn't care if you're missing a leg, doesn't care if you're three hundred four hundred pounds. What it cares about is do you make the swim cutoff, do you make the bike cutoff, do you make the run cutoff, do you get there by midnight? You don't get there by midnight. We'll still celebrate you for the effort, but you're not getting a medal. You're not getting a shirt.
1: So what happens is you say to me, why don't you go up there and take a picture on the finish line? I'll take a picture for you. And I said, oh man, that just didn't feel right. Didn't I said, I want to do this next year. Yeah. And, and it was a year later that I did cross that finish line. And then this past weekend uh, or two weeks ago, as I think it was, um, you know, I, it was like my, my. Eighth year, eighth year later after Ironman, still that same feeling you got in 1980 that I can do anything because of that experience. Yeah. Um, and so all of this stuff was coming back to me. I said, I got to get a hold of Bob because then it turns out this past weekend, the, the Challenge Athletes Foundation ride from San Francisco to San Diego concluded. And then it was the big CAF triathlon. Yes. But this weekend, a guy like yourself who helped found CAF, you were honored. By CAF. Right. Which is kinda of crazy. So now I gotta get you back to the beginning of CAF. Sure. For people who don't know, and I we're kinda of going a little little deep here and I won't edit things. So if you could just give the backstory sure. of Jim McLaren and the start of CAF.
2: So back in
1: nineteen
2: eighty five, Jim McLaren was a football player at Yale. By the podcasts. way, you're
1: in nineteen eighty five, see now I didn't know things before. Yeah. Your competitor magazine's getting going.
2: A competitor magazine this we we're still running in triathlon news 85 so when jimmy was injured in 85 i didn't know jimmy at that point he was on his motorcycle going to acting classes in new york got hit by a bus thrown 90 feet in the air dead on arrival chalked his body on the pavement he lived lost his lower left leg and came back to run a 316 marathon with really a prosthetic that we would consider prehistoric by today's standards and he ran 1042 with the iron man in hawaii And top 20% of everybody in the race and people were just blown away. And that's when I met Jimmy. He was, you know, doing Ironman. He was sponsored by Bud Light. And there was a big change at that time because people used to look at challenged athletes running in a prosthetic or pushing a wheelchair as sort of lesser than. And then I think people started thinking, well, wait, if there's 2,000 people in this race and this is a guy you notice because he's missing a leg, why shouldn't we be sponsoring him? And people are going to take notice of this guy. So Jimmy was traveling the world. He was sponsored by a bunch of folks, and then uh, 1993, I was with him the night before.
1: Well, how did you how did you guys get to know each other? Uh, through I uh, was competitor. I was covering him through competitor magazine. So,
2: uh, so we're talking uh, 88, 89, 90, 91, 92. So you've developed
1: a close relationship with him. Yeah. You're 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 following him and his yeah story. yeah.
2: Jimmy and I are buddies. Is uh, he in San Diego at this time? No, he's living in Colorado. Got it. Okay. Yeah. He's living in Colorado. We were, you know, together the night before the race, talking in the lobby. What year is this? This now? is '93. Okay, so and now, now races. Just, we're in Orange County. We're in Mission Viejo. Mm-hmm. And the next day, uh, Jimmy's on his bike, and a van goes through a closed intersection, hits the back of his bike, propels him headfirst into a pole. And a guy who's already an amputee becomes a quadriplegic. And at that point, Jeffrey Escau, who I knew through the Tin Link Company, he was their CFO. Rick Kozlowski, who was the race director in town, the three of us got together, and the whole idea was we want to put a little trothlon at La Jolla Cove. And the goal was to raise $25,000 to buy Jimmy a van with hand controls. And the reason for that, I'd covered a lot of wheelchair athletes through a competitor. And the one thing I'd hear from them about what's the worst part about becoming paralyzed, it was. I'm 30 years old, here come mom and dad back in my life. No sense of self, no sense of independence. So I was like, okay, let's get Jimmy a van that he can drive that has hand controls. That was it. So our goal was 25, we raised 49, we thought our job was done. Three amputee women came up to us after a race, it goes, great what you did for Jimmy, he's our hero, but did you know that if you get injured, your health insurance will cover a walking around leg or an everyday wheelchair? Nothing to do with sport is covered because they consider sport a quote-unquote luxury item. Well, that's when we got our 5013C and decided if someone needed a piece of equipment, training expenses, coaching expenses, travel expenses, to stay in a game of life through sport, that CAF would be there forever and ever for them. And now, 25 years later, we've sent out 23,000 grants. We've raised over $100 million. This year alone, we sent out... Uh, 2,806 grants totaling $4.3 million for sport, 95 different sports, 40 countries, 48 states. And it's, it's just been a blessing. It's been the most amazing thing in my life. I, two years ago, I was at the Paralympics in Rio, and this woman named Deborah Jackson came up to me at the hotel, and she goes, Bob, you might not remember this, but you guys gave my son Desmond, who was eight years old at the time, a running leg eight years ago. He's 16 now, and tomorrow night he's running in the finals of the 200 here in Rio. Wow. That, to me, is what it's all about. Wow. You give people a piece of equipment. You give them hope. You give them confidence. You give them uh, a you allow them to fuel their passion with a piece of equipment.
1: You know you mentioned earlier a name Rudy and people may have just glossed over it but Rudy Garcia Tolson is a guy who's kind of one of the, one of the face guys for CAF Absolutely. and I'll never forget he, you know just recently he put on Facebook hey do you have some memories because he, he posted yes. a picture I think he turned I don't remember 30. 30. 30, he 30. Amazing and I said I said to him I said Rudy you won't remember this I said but in the 2009 Ironman when he was trying to do the Ironman the yes. first time I said Bob Babbitt and I were on a moped and I think I was driving and Bob was shooting video and we were trying to encourage you and we but we knew you and i that he wasn't going yeah, to make it yeah. in time for the finish line like like i was there for that and i didn't know that he knew it and he and i just said so that's my memory of you and he said yeah. oh scott believe me i, I know. Remember. i was there i remember <laughs> you know and those are the, the wonderful memories i have of endurance sports and i say have not that i won't have them again right i'm just waiting for the, the right inspiration to get back to it right now i've got a little fear of the road on my bike so
2: you know what's great about this era you get on a zwift And you can do Sarah did 98% of her training indoors. You can, you can get way more out of an indoor ride than you can out of riding outdoors. And with, you know, you don't have any safety issues unless one of your kids runs into you indoors. You're pretty good.
1: Yeah. Um, so, so back to CAF. Yes. So, so, so the MDC comes down the coast and I'm, I'm following it all. And I'm just so jealous that I'm not out yeah. on my bike with everybody, you know, and I feel like I've let my teammates down that I'm not out there. And then again, the the triathlon happens this weekend, but it, it all kind of comes again, not knowing this at the beginning of this conversation, kind of full circle that, that just like competitor magazine that was sold and then sold again and then kind of got was too big was that it lost some of its, it soul. Lost its soul. Yeah. Okay? CAF there was a small period of time where guys like you and Jeffrey were kind of not really as involved but I always kept saying to Jeffrey you and Bob are the heart and soul of CAF. Right. You can't let this thing get so big that a CEO takes it in a different direction because it has to be about what you guys, it, it was all from your own heart, right? which is why it's so amazing that this past weekend for the 25th anniversary, they celebrated you.
2: That well, having, Rightly so, yeah. by
1: the way, but, but it, it was you guys who, who didn't let this thing get out of control when it could have. You could have thrown up your hands and went, we did great work, we raised a shit ton of money, and you know what? It's time for us to get out of here, but it was your passion, your continued passion that kept you guys right yes. there next to it
2: well and what's hard sometimes deeply
1: involved is probably a better way of saying
2: yeah it. The, the main deal is is this early on because i'd seen uh i'd seen in business right you see where all of a sudden the visionaries are shoved out so one of the things that rick kozlowski myself and jeffrey insisted on with the board early on is that we're on that board for life period end of story because I we didn't want to have bring other board members on. It was that yeah we want we have a different passion now and get rid of these guys get rid of these old fogies. It's like no we 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 don't control but it's important for us to have our voices heard and you know Jeffrey and Kaz and myself it's, it's been you know it's been a, an amazing ride and getting receiving the Jim McLaren Award this weekend was you know to me to have my name associated with Jimmy's because Jimmy was a uh, a dear friend and actually again associate think about how everything in my life goes back to iron man you know from the iron man led to me starting competitor magazine and the iron man led to me meeting jim mclaren uh the iron man gave us a spot in iron man to auction off that was the first time I ever did anything like that for jimmy when jimmy was injured in june of 93 we got an air ambulance to bring jimmy over in october to kona right because my conversations with Jimmy were pretty dark at that point, point. and I didn't remember he'd already gone through this. He'd already had a you know had operations and lost a leg, and was he going to be able to not commit suicide? Right? He was he not going to have the will to live? Coming to Kona and being on stage in front of his Iron Family changed everything for him. Having Mark Allen hug him in the finish line after Mark had won for his fifth time, it changed everything. Jimmy came away from that going. All right, what's next? And what, you know, you think about it, 93 was still, was, you know, we we hadn't started, we hadn't started CAF yet. And that was, that was, he was intimately involved with us, not just creating the charity, but speaking the groups and, and talking about the importance of other people getting help and the importance of sport, how it had been important for him as an amputee.
1: I'm so blown away by this conversation because, you know, to think about where Competitor Magazine started, how big it became and how big of a company, a part right. of a company became, how small CAF started, how gigantic it has become. Yeah. And yet how it has retained it's the retained heart and soul. Culture.
2: The culture is all that's what and it's it was all about.
1: so close for a period of time, Bobby. It was so close to possibly losing it.
2: I think the mistake you make sometimes is you start thinking we're getting big. We better bring somebody in from the outside who understands getting big. We better bring someone in from outside our culture, and then you realized, and, and you know, Jeffrey and the team realized very quickly that this isn't working. This, this, we we need. People who are intimately involved with our culture, who know what CAF is all about. And the last thing we want to do is minimize Bob and, and, and Jeffrey's contributions and their impact on the I mean, for years, Jeffrey signed every single check that went out from CAF, which made the comfort I got from that. Because Jeffrey is, as you know, uh, he's frugal, he's fair but at the same time, he's going to make sure we don't waste one penny. Yeah. Jeffrey's not going to go ask for a donation from somebody knowing that we're not making the best use of every single penny that yeah. comes in the CAF. Yeah.
1: That's why you guys had to be a part of it still. I mean, Absolutely. And it was it, it was it's so again, just just to finish up here. I um, I didn't know where we were going. I just knew this. I knew that Iron Man was happening and you had this new book. Yes. I'm holding the 25th anniversary. Hmm. I'm wait, this is the, this 30th. is the one that's worth how much now? Uh, it's like 240 bucks. <laughs> right. yeah. And and here's the new one, the you, new one just out on Amazon. Uh, yes. This is beautiful, man. Oh wow. And I'm just opening it up and uh, you, you've signed it to me, Scott. Thanks for so much of your awesome support to CAF. Thank you, Bob, Bob CAF. And, and I, it, it's kind of like, there's this little guilty part of me it's just that at the time when I was deeply involved with CAF, it was the right time in my life. Right. And right now, it's funny, people say to me, how do you do it, man? You work
2: all day, I know, all day. you were you, you working multiple jobs. Yeah, but you
1: know, know how I do it? it? It's real simple, you'll appreciate this. Um, so, when you train for Ironman, you have to make use of every, every minute second. of the day.
2: You can't waste a second.
1: Right, so if I have to wake up at four o'clock in the morning to go for a run, because I'm training for Ironman, then that's when I have to do it. Right. And so the same goes now. It's like, I'll get up at six to go spin for an hour, hour and a half in the yep. morning, so my exercise is out of the way, because I know I'm going to go until nine o'clock at night. Yes, I know. So, so when people say, how do you do it? Listen, every minute of the
2: day counts. Well, and the, same, and the other part of that is you love what you do. The work part. You love being on, on radio. You love doing your podcast. If you didn't, it would make it hard. So and do I do all that in a day, and,
1: and I and I love what I'm doing now. This this new platform and and building it and watching the numbers grow and and um, I'm I'm also involved with uh, so many of the people who are investors in my company. Yeah, all come from the world of endurance sports. Very cool. All yes, people that I've trained with and uh, raced with and um, and have that similar experience. You know, it's interesting when when people know that I have done the Ironman. What they know is I know what you're made of.
2: Right. Right. There's a, there's a synergy there. There's a family attitude there. I mean, you think about all the folks you ride down the coast with. They all, they, there's a connection there. And it's funny. I remember Sully, Bob Sullivan, telling me once, he says, all his business partners are people he met on the ride down the coast. Mm-hmm. Dean Roper, all the are people he'd become close with. From riding down the coast. It's a business trip. Yeah. That million dollar challenge is a business trip down the coast of California no, that changes there, lives.
1: There, and, and when I was told about it in my first year, of 2007, that I was going to make relationships for my life, little did I know how truly yeah. um, serious that statement was. Right. You know, yeah. relationships for life, because you feel like you're teammates with people. Absolutely.
2: And at the same time, while you're riding down the coast and you're thinking, God, this is hard, this this climb through Big Sur is awful, there's a guy in a hand cycle next to you, right? There's a guy who's missing a leg next to you. It's hard to whine, it's hard to complain, and it gives you instant hope and confidence when you see, wait, this guy can do it? What the hell? Yeah. I'm going to do it.
1: Yeah. I don't like being, uh, or let me rephrase. I did not enjoy being passed by guys with prosthetic legs yeah. in races. Yes. You know, you learn, don't judge the book by the cover.
2: My favorite Rudy story, I had Rudy in studio with a guy named AJ Acosta, who was a 353 marathoner, a 353 miler. Sorry. And we're in, We, we they. Had, I just convinced AJ to do his first triathlon, Solana Beach triathlon. And... So I asked, how the triathlon go? He goes, well, you know, during the run, I had a little blister, so I only ran about 18 minutes. I can't believe I ran that slow. He's like, Rudy, how'd your race go? My leg came off three times. <laughs> <laughs> I said, AJ, note to self, don't complain about a blister when his leg came off three times.
1: (laughs) That's going to be the name of this chapter. Don't complain about a blister when your leg came off three times. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Hey, Bob, one of the things, just last thing, I I always love listening to you on the radio, especially because that night, Sunday nights, there's something about- perfect for
2: long form radio. You're sitting in the car. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And and I always love the stories of these triathletes because even if you're not a triathlon fan, if you just like the human spirit, you love these stories. How do people hear now Babbittville Radio? Oh, tell people about how to get the book, et cetera, sure. et cetera.
2: The book, the easiest thing is Amazon. Amazon's the best way to get it, especially your prime member, you'll get it in an hour. <laughs> the uh, the radio show, Babbittville. If you go to Babbittville, you'll see our you know, we've got our YouTube channel. We just posted we we did seventy-five uh, of interviews For Breakfast with Bob from Kona and including our championship edition. Last year we had about three point three million minutes of viewing during Iron Man Week was pretty crazy so all that stuff's posted on the youtube channel uh and you know Babbittville. if you're gonna go to babbittville.com b-a-b-b-i-t-t-v-i-l-l-e babbittville.com wow. <laughs> uh, how about that you can you can get to pretty much everything i do
1: okay we never even got to some other stories but we'll we'll do this again okay and i'll i'll leave everybody i'll tease with everybody for for volume two when when that is yes. in 2019 that bob was a gym teacher
2: true and his wife heidi Yes, Heidi was my student back in and in, uh, she was 12 and she was my student at a place called the Children's School in Sorrento Valley. So when I first came out here from Chicago and they're giving me a tour of the school, I was going to run the PE program there. She was the one who gave me a tour, so I thought she was like a teacher's assistant or something. And then 20 years later, I was doing, I do a softball game on 4th of July out in Rancho Santa Fe and she comes up to me and she goes, you probably don't remember me, but I was your student 20 years ago. And so when we got engaged and we were doing like, what do we use for a wedding invite? I found a photo because myself and the art teacher and the principal would pose with every class. And in that photo, it's myself and Heidi sitting next to each other with her class. And that the funniest, and that became our wedding invite. You <laughs> married a student, a former student. Yes, I did. I married a it former student. So
1: weird and creepy. I know, and yet it's such a great love story. It's a great love
2: story, <laughs> and she's phenomenal. She's been great, oh, and man. she she does all my social media. She, she Instagram, Facebook, you name it. She's the she's amazing. At it.
1: You have built an amazing life of being able to follow your passion iron man and turn it into a massive business and you know score financially like you probably never dreamt being a no, teacher in your early not. 30s you know it's
2: so funny i never looked at financial stuff i was just you know, sort of a little oblivious to that but again you follow your passion good things happen and you you know the one thing you learn from from being a teacher when you're a teacher you're dealing with parents you're dealing with kids you're dealing with other faculty I think teachers make good business people because we learn how to get along. We learn how to work with all sorts of diverse populations. You're talking about the parents you're dealing with. There's some issues there. But if you get through that, you can take what you learn as a teacher and bring that to business. And I think it really transfers over because the key is treat people well. And, you know, in our gosh, oh, the the years we had competitor, um, you know, I don't think maybe we had two people that we had issues with in all those years you know you just always do the right thing if you do the right thing and you're if you're thinking from a perspective of how do i help this guy fill up his event how do i help gatorade get more people knowing about their new product if you're always thinking that what the other person is thinking you know it works out because they know they have a partner i always wanted to be a partner for every every advertiser of mine was wasn't an advertiser was a partner
1: Boy, I'm just, I'm entranced by what you're saying. You have no idea what's running around in my head right now. I'm going to cut it off right there, Bobby. A pleasure, Scottie. Otherwise, you and I, with no commercial breaks, we'll um, keep going forever. Forever. Hey, congratulations on that award. That's really awesome. And, it and, was, and the yeah. fact that you're still, you know, so deeply involved in CAF is amazing. And... uh I don't know I just I'm just a huge fan of yours you, you know that
2: wow well, it's mutual I love what you guys do and, and what you've been doing uh, uh, in drive time in San Diego forever and just you know just giving people a, a voice letting people come on and voice their anger or their passion and that's there's an art to doing <laughs> what you do I notice how I don't take calls on my show <laughs> right because I don't know I don't want to deal with I, I want to ask my questions <laughs> I don't want to listen to everybody else's questions <laughs>
1: Well, it's been great. Thank you very much, Bob. I appreciate it, Scotty. Thank you, buddy. I want to thank my friend, Bob Abbott. That was so interesting. I, I never knew a lot of this stuff. Um, I find that every week. Every time I talk to somebody, I know they've got a story, but I don't know what it's going to be. And every week I'm, I'm blown away. Bob Abbott's blew me away. Third grade or whatever it was, elementary school, uh, gym teacher, who, by the way, marries his student all those years later, which I know sounded kind of a little weird and creepy, but it's not because she was a full-on adult. <laughs> and I know Heidi very well, uh, at least Bob and Heidi, well enough to say they're really normal. So, Here's the thing, Um, to hear the story of how he created the magazine and how he was giving it away for free and how much he believed in just give it away, get it out there and finding deals with a Gatorade, as an example, Bob talked about. These are fascinating stories of people who are, you know, 17,000 bucks is what he talked about starting with my friend Larry White was part of that group. 17 grand. His friend said here, come on, go do this turned out to be a great investment but he had friends who believed in him that's something i really took away from this he had a passion for the content that he was covering I, i took that away also and even through the struggles of we only had 17 grand and our first publication was 20 grand even through that kind of stuff they persevered because they had that sort of passion for what they were doing and i don't know about you guys that's the way i feel you know that's the way i feel about what i do um, not just on radio, not just in podcasting, not just working social media all freaking day long in what I'm doing with my company cited. I mean, it's, it's, I'm testing content. I'm, I'm seeing what's people are biting on. Mostly I have to admit, mostly it's charger content or Spanos content. I mean, that's what people expect on radio for me. That's what they talk about. And so all the other stuff that we're playing with it, it, people bite but not nearly the same so i'm watching that because i want to be able to explain that to other hosts around the country other radio guys hey it's you're going to be your local content that people are going to talk about so you know when you're when you're working in your business and you're trying to get things done i have a a friend of mine who's a friend through this podcast believe it or not and a guy who's helped me a lot along the way um he's got a a new business and a new app and he's hustling he's working his job as an engineer but he's he's got his side gig over here and he's trying to make it all work just like we all are you know, and and, uh, and to hear Bob Babbitt go, yeah, we had this little magazine and this little idea and we got 17 grand and the next thing you knew, we were off and running. That's that's inspiring stuff. Bob Babbitt's a Hall of Famer. Bob Babbitt deserves those honors that were given to him. And Bob Babbitt has changed so many people's lives through his continued work with the Challenge Athletes Foundation. A lot of names were in there that you may not necessarily know, but I know intimately, and I hope you enjoyed that, even though, again, some of it may have been lost in the weeds. And, again, I think I did say I zoned out at some point in there. So thanks for being with us. Thanks to my sponsors, Callaway Golf. You can visit them callawaygolf.com. Gorilla Movers, gorillamovers.com, the best in the business making it easy for you, and my friends at the Brigantine Family of Restaurants. So thanks to all the sponsors. Thanks to all the listeners. Always, always, I say in all sincerity, I know how valuable your time is. And if you spend this time with me, um, I really appreciate that because, because, believe me, I know because I listen to other people's podcasts and I know when I'm doing it and what, what the time commitment is. And I just thank you so much and I hope you get out of it what I get out of it. I'll see you next week.
0: and by Scott on the weekly solo podcast that on every truth they crux keep it locked and make sure after you listen share the latest volume tune into to the next edition